Is it possible to disagree and still be friends? The answer is yes, and we are here to prove it. Join our group of badass sirens as we step out of our comfort zone and onto our soapboxes to sound off on our latest adventure. We might not always agree, but we will always love each other. Welcome to Siren Soapbox. Hello, friends, and welcome to Siren Soapbox. On May 23rd, it was World Turtle Day to celebrate the Sirens Read the Beach House by Barry Alice Monroe. This is a heartwarming story about a woman returning to her childhood beach house in Low Country, repairing her relationship with her mother and becoming a turtle lady along the way. I think the Sirens will all agree our World Turtle Day would have only been better if we were actually in the presence of sea turtles while diving. Our soapbox question of the week is to describe your relationship, thoughts, and experience with sea turtle conservation. If at any time the discussion gets too intense, the safe word is? Mango. Mango. First up on her soapbox is the turtle lady herself, TC. So I just want to start off by saying that I did spend World Turtle Day with turtles at the Turtle Hospital in the Keys, and that was fabulous. But now on to my soapbox. Um, I really want to start by saying that any fiction book that mentions Archie Carr is going to get my attention. I can't believe that no one has ever told me to read these books before. I'm glad that Elsie finally did. I feel like she kept them secret for a long time. I love the way Mary Alice Monroe weaves sea turtle facts into the narrative of the books in this series. Reading about the mama turtles coming ashore and the hatching events motivates me to get back on the beach. I grew up loving turtles from a very young age. I can't even tell you when it started, but when I was three and potty trained, my reward was to go to a toy store and pick something out, and I chose a turtle stuffed animal. Later as an adult on a trip to Nuevo Vallarta, which was actually a honeymoon with my ex, I met some sea turtle rescue folks who invited me to help each night. I think because they spoke Spanish and I spoke English, but we both knew all the scientific names of all the sea turtles. So when I started reciting those, they invited me to come back every night. I was able to patrol beaches and even got to help move a nest. I actually got to catch eggs as they were laid. The crazy thing is that I don't know what kind of turtle it was. I'm guessing Olive Ridley's, but I'm not certain. I moved to St. Croix to be near my favorite type of sea turtle, the leatherback. I volunteer at the Sandy Point Leatherback Project, and we have the largest leatherback nesting site in the U.S. I also volunteer through the East End Marine Park on St. Croix, and this group sees mostly green sea turtles and hawksbills. I've actually allowed myself to fade in my volunteer work. I've been busy at work, and volunteer opportunities decreased last year because of COVID, but this book has really put the fire back in my soul to get back on the beaches and protect what drew me to this island in the first place. I'm excited that the current book by Mary Alice Monroe is a bestseller because I think these books can do a lot of good for our turtles by spreading the word. So I'm very thankful for that. Next on her soapbox is Murr. Thank you, TC. Reading The Beach House made me feel submerged into in, in life on the Isle of Palms. And I felt like I was a friend of the cast of characters and I fell in love with the idea of being a turtle lady on an island. What I think I loved most about the book was everything I learned about loggerheads. Um, even before I was a scuba diver, I have always felt a deep connection with the sea. 
The Little Mermaid was my favorite Disney cartoon. I wanted to trade Ariel my legs for her fins. That would have been fine with me. Um, but it was Finding Nemo that made me fall in love with the turtles because they are so freaking cool, right? Um, but as a diver, I, I, I have experienced the harmful effect of our actions on wildlife in our sea and turtles in particular. And to help save our turtles, I've done things like I've given up plastic straws and most other single use plastics. I've taken up recycling and other things that, um, I think make me a well-rounded tree hugger. Um, I collect rainwater and use that to water all my plants. I carry a stainless steel water bottle with me everywhere I go, even into bars and some restaurants, just like they do on St. Croix. Thank you, St. Croix, for that suggestion. Um, it's easy for me to understand why it's important to do these things because I, we have one planet and I love this one planet that we have. And I feel frustrated when I hear people in Cincinnati say things like, it doesn't matter if I use straws here because I live in Cincinnati and the oceans and the turtles aren't anywhere near me. So my wish and my hope, and I guess my action is to help people everywhere understand that they should care more about the natural environment and help them take more steps to preserve this beautiful planet of ours before we start traveling to, to the moon and then littering that rock up. <laughs> and now it's on to you, Jess. Thanks, Mer. So I, when I started, I, I was immediately touched at the title of this book. And then when Elsie told us it mixes an awesome story with turtles. I was like, okay, I'm down. I'm sold. <laughs> and, um, and then I went to uh, purchase it was kind of reading a little bit about it and saw that it was based in Charleston. And I was like, okay, I'm doubly sold. <laughs> um, I went to school in South Carolina. And before we actually, I started school, we did a family trip to the Isle of Palms. So um, I didn't actually know about the Isle of Palms before we went, but we went to some family friends who um, have a house there. And the first morning my mom came in and shook me awake and she was like, there's dolphins. Come on, you've got to get out of bed. So I went out, was squealing like a little girl in the water. My mom <laughs> apparently told my dad that um, that was it. She knew I wasn't coming home. <laughs> Um, she was a little worried that I was not going to make it there because I was leaving everybody I knew, but she was like, nope, she's gone. Um, and the great thing about that trip is we, um, we learned about keeping the lights out during turtle season. Um, and we actually went out every night and sat by a nest waiting for it to hatch. Um, so talking to the volunteers, learning all about the turtles and, um, you know, those turtle ladies there on um, the Isle of Palms. So um, I felt such a deep connection to this book and it was just like taking me back in time, the descriptions of Charleston and the Isle of Palms and the turtle nests. And it was just, uh, I mean, I cried the whole time, but <laughs> for, for many different reasons, um, we did not unfortunately get to see the nest hatch before I had to leave. Um, but it, it just really got me hooked on I was raised by hippies, so I was very into conservation, but not in the respect of how we can help the ocean. Um, and then when I went to school, I went for marine science. So we started learning a lot of things about um, coral bleaching and stuff like that. So just really um, 
it got me, it got me started. The, the turtles got me started in, in the ocean. So on to you, Sarah. Well, thank you. <clears throat> First, I'd like to say once again, thank you for the invitation to be a, a guest siren here today. Um, I think I just might be starting to get the hang of it. <laughs> um, um, as I mentioned, I was invited last week. So I was a little worried about finishing the book on time. Um, yesterday, I sent out a message to the group saying, you know, I, I can't remember what I said now, 60% of the way through. Um, and I was told, you know, don't worry, it's a, it's a page turner. And, um, and it, it really was. I, uh, um, I had a lot of things that I probably should have been doing yesterday to get ready for my week. And I was so thrilled that I had the perfect excuse to not do those things because, well, I had to finish the book, right? So um, that was great. Thank you, guys. Um, so uh, my uh, experience with sea turtle conservation, I actually have a fairly negative experience to, to, to share first. We um, visit, go to Cayman Islands uh, frequently. Um, in fact, I've been going ever since 1989 and I had heard about the turtle farm and it was always somewhere that I wanted to visit. And I was so excited to one day go. And it wasn't until 1999 that we finally made the, the trip. To, to the turtle farm, which has been since renamed to the turtle center, I think. Um, and I just remember feeling so uncomfortable while I was there. It was great to see the turtles and I walk in and wow, I mean, turtles everywhere, but it just had a very uncomfortable feel to it. Um, the, the pools were small. Anyway, I, I'm going to run over my two minutes if I talk too much about that. But um, it turns out uh, that this is not exactly uh, conservation at all. This is uh, entertainment purely. And um, in fact, they uh, were talking about how these turtles were sometimes sold to local restaurants. So um, uh, and cruise ships and the resorts, they tout this place as the, a great experience, but I'm gratified to see that there have been a lot of complaints and now it is no longer as, fa as famous as it used to be. Um, before my time is up, I will say that I have had a much better experience since in Cayman. Um, I got to experience a, a nest that was, I walked up onto the beach and got there just as the last little babies were, were racing for the water. So that was great. It was very gratifying to see how well they were taking care of this nest. Everybody had all the lights turned out on the exterior of all of the buildings. Um, and so that was a very wonderful experience that, would, that sort of changed the negative turtle Cayman experience. So um, on to Elsie. Thank you. Uh, it was really hard for me to try and come up with a soapbox because I could probably talk about sea turtles for days. Um, I first fell in love with sea turtles in October of 2007. I've been planning to visit a friend in North Carolina and help volunteer at the Karen Beasley Sea Turtle Rescue and Rehabilitation. Worked there, yeah. Oh, I love it there. The weeks leading up to it, I was feeling really ill. And that morning before I left, I found out I was pregnant and then immediately drove 700 miles to the beach like a crazy person, because that's what you do when you find out you're pregnant, you're right? <laughs> and, uh, it was at the rescue that I decided if these amazing creatures could survive being bit by sharks or being hit by boat props that I can make it through this very difficult pregnancy. Long story, very sick. But fast forward almost a year later, my husband is deployed in Kuwait. I have a newborn and I'm living at my parents' home again. My mom gave me a stack of books and I was polite and I took them and I'm like, there's no way I'm going to like anything that that she likes like we have different tastes i got rid of most of the books and i kept one it's my really old beat up copy of the beach house and the words turtle lady caught my eye and reading the book 
uh, almost exactly 13 years later, it's kind of trippy for me. And Connor is going to be 13 next week. Um, my little baby from way back then. Uh, and I always related to the main character, the loner. Uh, and in fact, she and her mom are the same distance in age as me and my mom. And in 2008, I was just starting out my career in the aquarium industry and the book really helped me to learn a lot about sea turtles. Reading it now, I really, really relate to the main character because I'm almost 40 and I had just left my career, uh, but not before I became certified as a sea turtle conservation instructor and led a sea turtle conservation trip. And my son and his friend raised over $5,000 for that same rescue I just talked about. It was cool reading the book now and seeing how accurate the sea turtle facts are. And I did in fact learn some things still. Uh, and I had no idea that the babies had to wait in the nest for their shells to flatten out before they um, did the boil. So 13 years later, it's still my favorite book. It most certainly holds up, especially the parts that talk about the regulations on sea turtles getting stricter. And it's an amazing community of people that Mary Alice has created. And more importantly, it sneaks in that conservation education. A lot of times people don't realize that they're harming the environment. And I think if people have stories to connect to, it really helps the message stick. So anyway, that's my soapbox. We have a very special guest to talk to us about her amazing book. She is the New York Times bestselling author of 27 books and has the, been the recipient of numerous awards. The Beach House has also been turned into a hallmark Hall of Fame movie. She's a conservationist for over 20 years, supporting many organizations and is a member of the Island Turtle team. Her nickname is South Carolina's Queen of the Beach Read. Please join <laughs> me in giving Mary Alice Monroe a very warm welcome. Thank you. Oh, welcome. I loved hearing your comments. Thank you so much. It was really very touching to hear all of your, your the connection. What is it about those ancient mariners, those turtles? <laughs> and I I just I knew when I moved to the Isle of Palms 20 some years, 22, 23 years ago, the first thing I did was become join the turtle team because I knew there was something about them I wanted to write about. Actually, it was the uh, the tear. I don't know how much time I should tell you this, but it was my sister was an artist, talked about the tear years that the tear and she's in florida and florida's turtles i mean here we are in south carolina we have some but florida's turtles and i knew i was interested but i didn't know like the rest of you it would be a lifelong passion i'm still <laughs> on the turtle team and i'm still on the board of different aquarium you know aquarium and then the leatherback trust and so i know there's another leatherback lover here and it'll be lifelong I, there's something about it. I, what I, what is it? Do you, do you have a red bucket with sticks in it? A hundred percent. I think <laughs> the red bucket exists. And we have these metal, these yellow probes that the first one now has worn down over 20 years. So I got a brand new one this year. And when I'm on book tour, like we, we have a, our third nest today, as a matter of fact, on Isle of Palm Sullivan's. And um, I'm now on the road until the end of the um, end of the month. But I, when I get back, I, I think what I'm going to start doing is I love night duty mm. because to me, I've, I've been there in the morning and found, a, you know, I've never broken an egg with my probing, but I've, I've, um, I have done everything with sea turtles from rehabilitation to the nest nesting, to the counting the eggs of the leather bag, everything. But my favorite is the nighttime. It's my favorite too. So he, we have a beach here. Um, it is um, Sandy Point. It actually is in the film Shawshank Redemption at the end where they. Where he's That's it. 
Yeah. Oh, beautiful beach, I might add. It is. Yes. And so that's where our leatherbacks are. That's where most of the leatherback nests are. Are those and, Atlantic leatherbacks then? Yeah. Our, so our leatherbacks live up in Nova Scotia most of the year. And then they come down here. To Fascinating. Nest. Yeah. Oh, wow. Because I know they're trending upward, which is such good news. Yeah, but they the, are. <clears throat> the Pacific leatherbacks are not doing so well. Yeah, right. So far this year, we have 62 nests. Um, they they nest sooner than the others. We don't have loggerheads here. We have greens and hawksbills. So but not a bad collection. I think the greens <laughs> are gorgeous. And we don't get those or hawksbills. So that's yeah. very cool. Yeah, <clears throat> it is. But I love the night, the night shift too. And we, so we would show up and walk, stay on the beach all night long. It's a shift from like 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. Oh yeah, I do that every in winter. We go to Costa Rica for the Pacific leatherbacks, nice. and that's that. I lose five pounds. I look forward to it every year because <laughs> you have to walk from midnight to, and it's guarded by the um, by the local guard so that no one can walk on these on the five hectares. But they still are not doing well. The Pacific, ninety five percent extinct. Oh wow, that's um, such a tragic. Yeah, and they're bigger a than tragic the number. Yeah. So what um, what months do they do they nest in Costa Rica? Usually they start end of November. There's the Aribada and of the olives, which if you've never seen the Aribada, is amazing. Okay. And then with thank you Archie Carr, okay. and then we have starting in December is when I show up, and then it goes on for. We're going to Costa Rica for the first time at the end of June, but I guess that's not the right season. <laughs> but yeah, it's pretty amazing when you're just sitting there and you're chatting with someone by the light of the moon and then it's time to walk or you look over and you see like some large, massive Volkswagen. A VW coming out of the, out yeah, of the ocean. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my you, you gosh. You never forget it. You never it's forget amazing. it. I'll it's never amazing. forget what the first time I went there. And I was there and they said, oh, you have loggerheads? Those are toy turtles. And, was, <laughs> and the, the leatherbacks, they're different too, because they're, I mean, it takes so much work for them to get out of the water. <laughs> it's hard to, it's hard to scare a leatherback back into the water. If it's a hawksbill and you make the wrong sound, they're turning around and headed back for the water. But the leatherbacks, yeah. not so much. Come right up. Yeah. So how big are these turtles? to 2,000 pounds, nine feet. They can be nine feet long. I know that most of the wow. ones that I see in Florida, 800, 900, Same. but I've had in Costa Rica with the Pacifics, 1,200 pounds. Wow, Huge. that's a big turtle. That's a big turtle, it really is. I have to say though, someone was talking earlier about um, conservation and I think you said from Cincinnati, Ohio. Yes, yes, mm -hmm. that's where have, I live. We have so many people from Ohio. I think it's because of it's a direct line in the highway. Oh, yeah. Isle Palms and Sullivan's. And when I wrote the book 20 years ago, I there was a lot of light disorientation and a lot of drownings in the shrimp boat nets. And people didn't talk about sea turtles the way they're talking about them now. They just didn't know much. And my goal was really just to say, I want them to know what that sign lights out for turtles means. I mean, I wanted to, I really consciously decided with this book that I was wanted my books to be a force for good. I wanted them to educate without 
pointing fingers and telling people what to do. I'm a novelist. And that's what I am first and foremost. But I thought if I could get through the power of story, like with this novel, to teach my, to teach and educate and make my readers aware of this magnificent species. And if they could see the sea turtles through the eyes of characters, then they feel my passion, right? Because it's emotion that hooks readers. Absolutely. And what is true is that people will care more about sea turtles after reading a novel like The Beach House rather than a scientific journal. Because I hope they go from my novel to the scientific journals because then they have the motivation to do so. I just want to get them to care because if you care, you take care. And I have been really rewarded. I didn't expect to write more than one, just the one. And it was my first New York Times hit. I mean, word of mouth, no internet, all word of mouth. And especially from the turtle teens, all along the South Beach, they were like, what? No one's ever written about a book like this before. So I'm so grateful to my readers because they, they shot it up. And every book I've written since has been set against some endangered species. But there are now seven. I just finished this Summer of Lost and Found, which is number seven. So whenever I have a book about set against sea turtles or something on my beach, pelicans, shorebirds, all these issues, plastics, I take this family that readers already invested in and we go back. So my characters have aged from 40. Now Kara's almost 60. And she, this next book, The Summer Lost and Found is the next generation. And Linnea, who's in her twenties, is just getting into the rhythm of being a sea turtle volunteer. Another Don't, don't give us too many details. We haven't read <laughs> That's what I want is I want people to say, ah, it's continuing in another generation. Right. And I, I love, love that. that. Yeah, I mean, I want that, and I try to very subtly bring all the plastic issues in, and nope. In fact, I have a group, I hope you all join. It's called A Light One Candle, and it's a Facebook, it's on my Facebook page, Mary Alice Monroe, the author page, not the, I have another page, but it's the author page, and there's a group, Light One Candle, and over the last four years, I've become aware when I speak to people that climate change is a turnoff for a lot of people, or they just get overwhelmed. Oh, there's so much plastic. What can I do? And I'm like, never before have we needed you, you yourself as an individual, than we do right now. And my daddy always said when I was young, and I used to save the world. I was like y'all when I was young. I wanted to save fill in the blank. <laughs> and my dad would say, now Mary Alice, kind of in a condescending tone, don't worry about the world. Just light one candle. And at the time, I, at 18, I thought he was just blowing me off. Like, and I'm like, no, no, I'm going to save the world. But what I now know is he was saying, think globally, act locally. What can you do in your life as an individual? And you all mentioned today, you're recycling, you're not using plastic straws. If everyone just did one thing, and everybody did it, think of the change that we could make collectively. So I started this group, please join us, Light One Candle. I moderated to make sure that no politics or there's nothing untrue. But I want people to tell me, what are you doing to make a difference? What's cool for you? Send me your diving pictures. I'd love to see them. You know, Fun. look at the turtle I saw, look at the uh, <laughs> octopus I saw, you know, with something really cool so that we keep the, I can make a difference faith alive. And that's why every book I write, 
in this series, as well as every book set against, I've done a whole series against dolphins, the, the, the Low Country series. Still dolphins today. I'm I researching whales now. <laughs> no, oh, the Low Country series. Honey, Jess, you have to read this series. It's the oh, Summer Girls, I... Summer Wind, Summer's End, Low Country Wedding. I mean, it's all set against dolphins. And in that book, uh, the whole series was set against a woman who's a, a kite surfer, my daughter's kite surfer, who's actually saved by a dolphin from a shark early on, happened to my daughter, so I know it's true. And wow. for all the wrong reasons, she befriends a dolphin, it comes to the dock. Everything she does is wrong. But by going through the cycle with her, you see the consequences. And so through the story, you're like, oh my God, now I get why we say don't feed wild dolphins. Don't lure them to the docks. If you say it, they don't get it. It's right. the story that, oh, now I understand because you care. So that series is great. I, I, this just, a, I'm researching whales now. I'm having a blast. <laughs> so wait, wait, wait. For, for two things, two things. First of all, that whole... Um, keep I can make a difference faith alive yes. is so important we did an episode on seaspiracy and all of us were so overwhelmed by everything it's and that easy. documentary it's is it's like shut you down overwhelming and the message kind of is you know don't use a straw it doesn't do anything it's it's not necessarily a helpful message and so um that's a shame you, we That's learned that shame. from that episode that uh, you're so overwhelmed that you're shut down. So I love that. And maybe we can change our challenge. <laughs> even though you hate when I do this every episode. Dude, I wrote it down. I, was I did like, too. But here's my other question thing. now. Mary Alice, you mentioned birds and dolphins and whales yeah. and sea turtles. Come on. Sea turtles are the best of those. Where's your real Well, that's love? the one series that I continue. I still am on the, I have to, when I research a species like birds of prey, you know, I've rehabilitated oh, eagles, hawks, falcons for years. And, but then I put it away. I can't do it all. Otherwise I'd never write novels, but right. sea turtles. Well, we can't have that. <laughs> Thank you. We need so them. Sea, sea turtles, though, is my life. I mean, I will never give that up. That's the that's my promise. So I have um, I have some pet tortoises, and there's a restaurant here on the island that saves all their vegetable scraps for me. And so I just oh. I just want to say because it makes my day every time it happens when I go there and I walk up the steps to pick up the scraps. Somebody somewhere in the restaurant yells out, "The turtle lady's here!" And I'm like, oh. <laughs> it just, "That's it a very affectionate own. term. I like it. <laughs> like, you made my whole life. Thank you. I've always only wanted to be called the turtle lady, and it's happening." <laughs> Yeah, that's cool. That is a very affectionate, old-timey. <laughs> when I st when I started reading the book, you know, I um, because Tracy loves me, she um, throws things at me and says, "Hey, you gonna you're gonna speed read another book because you're gonna be on the podcast again on Monday." And I'm saying, "Okay, yeah, okay, I can do that." So I wasn't actually sure when I first started reading the book what the what the the focus of the um, soapbox and the podcast was going to be. Um, so I just want to 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 echo what you're saying about the fact that I'm reading this novel and I'm loving the the characters and I'm so invested in them but I just from the very first chapter and you read a little fact about the the mm. sea turtles it just it drew me in and the way that you parallel these characters with with the the 
the creatures as well. I just found it so touching and heartwarming. And um, I cried a whole lot. Um, my question for you is, why do you like to make people cry? Um, uh, I know. I don't make people laugh very often. I make them cry. I don't. Oh, I laughed. <laughs> this was a very I laughed powerful. Book too. I mean, when you think about what the story, the mother-daughter story was so powerful. And I remember when I was trying to figure out how do I tell a story about sea turtles that's not going to be, you know, New York was saying, don't write about sea, no one cares. And I, eh, yes, they do. So mm-hmm. you were right, Mary Alice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly chose the way I wrote books, changed the way I wrote books. I used to write from archetypal themes. I'd written five books before this. And I decided, no, that's not the way to do it. So I took what I learned from the animal. And I'll give you an example. You know, uh, the, the reptile, the sea turtle comes ashore, kind of leaving her home, what she knows. And she risks a lot to lay the nest up high on a dune. And she digs down, lays you know, 60 to 150 eggs, covers them up, pats it down, camouflages. And then she, her biological model is to go back into the sea. But, okay, that's fine. But as a human being, you know, mammals, we, that mama stays with the baby, with the dolphins. So we look at that as abandonment. Mm-hmm. So I did not have a story. I only learned from the turtles. So issues of abandonment. The sea turtle matures, comes back. To, we now know it's not the beach of its birth, but the area of the birth. But 20 years ago, we thought it was the beach of its birth. So I had a novel. Okay, it would be a novel of a daughter coming home after a long absence so you see how a you know i knew with all the fecundity all those eggs someone was going to be pregnant which i brought in the sub the young girl and so you start developing big so i all of a sudden the story starts coming together from what i learned from the animals and it was a lot of fun to make it happen and it worked for me and i knew i did something different you know, I knew no one had written a book quite like this before, and I certainly had never written one. And it was a little mass market when it first came out, not the fancy hardcovers I have now. And I gave it a kiss and I was under contract and I was like, okay, you can have it. And they did nothing. <laughs> they just put it out there. And it was the readers who just said, wow, especially in Florida. They loved the South, whole Southeast it was like, wow, we I want to know about turtles. And Aside from making the times, which built my career, what was the best thing for me, and this sort of transcends storytelling, is that this book encouraged people to become volunteers. They donated money to hospitals, to the teens. They started caring. People from Ohio, when they come to the Isle of Palms, they now know what that sign means, lights out for sea turtles and so that's why i've continued the series and now i'm really fortunate to have a series that is really very very strong and popular and people have followed this family for 20 years and i don't know when it's going to end i don't see a reason to end it except i'm writing a couple of the books now i'm taking a break because whales got to be told. I, got, I don't know what the story is. See, that's it. I don't know my story, but I'm going out working with them. And um, I don't even know the location because it's not South Carolina. <laughs> and it's, but where am I going to set it? I don't know yet, but I'll let the, I'll let the whales tell me. I have a, a quick question. Dominica so I has... Oh, go. Sorry. Sorry. I, I, I read this on Kindle. So I'm, you know, and I, on my phone, you know, like this. And I noticed that the, the little chapter headings that gives mm-hmm. a little bit of information about the, the sea turtles and, and cause, uh, 
did you choose how they would put that on there? Because I thought that was oh, so clever. That was an absolute uh, well thought out decision on my part because I didn't, I knew I was getting information and dialogue and, and the characters, what they saw and did as turtle teens. But I didn't want to, uh, I hate it when uh, I call it lazy writing, when they dump info in the novel. That's not the job. A storyteller is to, to bring you along, excitement, turn, turn those pages, care about the people. But I loved facts. And I said, I'm going to put a chapter heading with a fact. And I really tried my best to have a reflection of what was, yes, of what was happening in the chapter when I could. And I loved it when I got letters from people saying, oh, you know, I, I skipped the, the, the turtle facts until chapter seven. But I started to wanting to know, and I went back and read the chapter. Love it. I love when people want to learn. So yes, I don't, don't do it for every book, but once in a while when I think, this is a book where there's information I want to get out there without slowing the pace of the novel. I offer it to my readers and it's up to them to decide if they want to read them or not. So there are a lot of turtle groups on Facebook. I, I have a friend who does um, dive videos on YouTube. He has a YouTube channel and he always tells me that anytime he has turtles and he focuses on turtles, his videos get like a ton of views really, really, really quickly. Because the I people put videos up. Yes. Well, and I'm I'm even thinking about the turtle groups in your book because I'm still amazed and not happy about the fact that it took me this long to discover your books. That that, that makes no sense to me. Uh, how do I everything. you tell me how to let them know? Because when the book first came out, it was like turtle teams across the coast were reading it. And then I think over the years, you know, the next generation of or re, young ones come up like you and they might not know about it. And even though the book the series still makes the list. I'd love to get the next generation of readers, which is why I introduced in Lost and Found the next generation, your age, young people who, and I said it against the pandemic because that is the biggest issue we've all faced in the last year. Yeah. And I thought, wow, I mean, I had to, I was actually looking at the human species in that book because even though there is a turtle scene at night, it's really about how we young and old dealt against this backdrop, this setting of a pandemic, which was like a war. I mean, all of us are gonna look back on 2020 and think like we did, where were you when the Twin Towers fell? Where were you when JFK was shot? Where were you um, when the moon landing or Mars coming up? I mean, where were you in 2020? And how did that impact your life? And I think this is gonna, it's the first book out Actually, it was Risk. It's the first one out that has a set setting against the pandemic. And it's these young people. They're all surfers, swimmers, marine biologists. I mean, it's a cool young group. And they're turtles. They're back on the beach. But it still is a story of how young people and older generations, how they formed pods. You know, you, you, I'm sure each of you had your safe group. Oh, yeah, for sure. COVID groups. And I think it's, it's, we're coming out of it now, kind of blinking in the light. <laughs> but I think it's an important time for us to consider what we learned in the last year. And um, I think a lot of us had a lot of self-reflection. And for me personally, and for my characters, it was really a lot of, how can I make each day the best? How can I live fully right now? right this moment. And for all of you sirens who are in the water a lot, 
that's part of what being in the water gives you is the appreciation for the right now. Absolutely. You have to breathe. You have to know when you're breathing. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's definitely a form of meditation for at least a few of us. So <laughs> yes, absolutely. And we go to the water for so many reasons. There's a book called Blue Mind, and it's a really lovely study of how we feel better when we go to the water. It's, it's, I think it's in our DNA. I do. Oh, I sure. gave him a guest dive at the aquarium. Jay? Yes. Oh, Jay. he's so cool. I love Jay. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Very nice guy. Very passionate about what he does. Really good book too. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's really good. And it really presents the blue mind, it, it, how we look at how we feel better near water. It's documented. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm no, going to read that. You guys must be feeling pretty good. <laughs> yeah, Merhaj, read it. Merhaj. I am. And let I am. that motivate you to get down here. Well, I'm, I'm coming. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I'm We're going to do sea turtle stuff. Can we go do sea turtle stuff? Oh, we have three yeah. nests in oh, South Carolina, in Charleston. I mean, just Silo Palms, Sullivan's, but statewide. It wasn't what we, it's a normal opening. So I think we're going to have a normal year, which is good because we're trending upward. It's, you okay. never know for sure, but like last year we had a lot more nests by this time. Mm. That was an unusually we're, high we're, year. It all we're trending, we're trending high right now. We have 62, this is just on Sandy Point. Um, good. They, and they nest all around our island, but we have 62 leatherbacks, 15 greens, and nine hawksbills right now. Excellent. Don't you love to hear those leatherback numbers? Of course, they're early. There's, yeah, they start earlier, like you they said. They start earlier. Yep. So that's why they're so high. The others will catch up and beat them for sure. But, you know, maybe not on Sandy Point. Sandy Point is kind of the leatherback territory. Ah, ooh, I like that. I'll be... I'm going to take down your address and I may be dropping by. <laughs> yes, you are more than I want to see leatherback nests emerge. You know, come I've been there July, plenty when the net, pardon me? So come mid-July, Mary Alice, that's when I'm visiting. <laughs> okay, well, I'll, I'll meet you there because I actually, I've been there for the egg laying for leatherbacks, but I've never been there for an emergence and they, they're so much bigger. They're like double the size of a loggerhead. Just, I mean, they just are. when they're babies. But they're still and I know tiny. we're not supposed to call them babies, but we do. <laughs> we do too. We call them babies. I'll send you some information. I'll just get mad when we say that. Thank you, Tracy. I'll I send you some. And we have a whole extra house. So you are more than welcome. It's not fancy, but it's a whole house. You can stay hey, as long as you'd like. Hey, you, I, 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 thank you. We, I, you know, actually, will you... We'll connect after this because yeah, I would yeah. really love to do that. And then the other thing I was going to tell you is that I don't know which whales you're doing, but the sperm whale lives in Dominica year round. It's the only place in the world. Dominica is down further in the Caribbean. It's an island that I have a crush on, but they live there year round. It's the only <laughs> place in the world that they live year round. I did not know that. So writing this <laughs> <laughs> research so oh, why can't we call the babies my job absolutely the best part of my job Here, yeah that would be fun and why can't we call the babies because they're hatchlings. Why not? they're hatchlings because oh. they don't like us to anthropomorphize wildlife and um but when you watch so cute tiny movies, like little babies they are so cute and they're comical when they come out these three inch little <laughs> guys and we're midwives i mean we actually watch in florida there's too many but we watch each nest and because of light disorientation we're quite mindful that we have to be there and um they're babies to us but but, <laughs> but i'm mindful that that's their their 
hatchlings. But okay, you know Domini, what? I'm writing this down. Lovey in book two, Olivia, yeah. as he calls her. Oh, that her. was, a, yeah. She, um, she's very right when she talks about how, you know, you, you do things just to things that speak to other people. You, you don't always have to be the ideal biologist. When you call them babies, yeah. people are drawn to babies, call them babies and let people protect them. You know, yes. like she was talking with the, um, with the volunteers. She's like, these are volunteers. You, you have to give them everything you can and draw them in as much as you can. She made some yes. really good points in that book. I, I love it. Crush my heart by the end of that book, because I read book one, the beach house. So I know what happens. <laughs> yeah. So this still, is, you're talking I'm about beach house memories. Beach yeah. house memories. Yeah. The, I think this, the, in terms of the love story, um, it was really interesting. Lovey, that was the most beautiful love story I've ever written. And Lovey was a South abroad Charlestonian woman from an old family. A lot of expectations. She lived um, a grand lifestyle there, but was never happy. She had an abusive husband. And so her sanctuary was this little beach house, which actually exists. And oh, it, I love that. Yeah, it does. And I, I, I'm very protective of it. But it's um, her love of sea turtles sort of filled an empty spot in her heart, which I think happens for a lot of people. You find a passion when your personal life isn't very happy. So in the story, and I don't want to give away too much for those who haven't read The Beach House. And by the way, there are several books called The Beach House. Read Mary Alice Monroe's if you want to. <laughs> I don't know. There's no copyright on, turtle, on titles. And I can't understand why to this day, people still write a book called The Beach House. It's like, no, can you find another title? Right. Come on. <laughs> so at any rate, <laughs> in, in swimming lessons, I, my daughter, I think it was 10 years or eight years after the Beach House came out. My daughter, who was older, finally read it. <laughs> you, know, she, you know how daughters sometimes can be. And she said, Mom, she's talking about the abuse. She said, I don't know why Lovey just didn't leave her husband. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that's spoken as a young woman today. And I thought, my, my, my child, you don't know what it was like to be a woman south of Broad in Charleston in 1974. It wasn't done she would have probably lost her kids. Mm. And her mama would have said, honey, you made your bed, now lie in it. And so I wanted to show what happens when a woman falls in love for the first time, only she's married to someone else. And that choice she had to make. And meanwhile, the backdrop in 1974 was the year the island of Isle of Palms, the whole Northern end maritime forest was sold and was made into a resort. So it was a significant, I always look for what's going on in the, in the landscape or with the wildlife and the island had changed that year. That was the year in her personal life, it changed. So I always look for ways to make people care about both. And that was a great love story. And I won't tell what happens. I'll let people read the book. You kind of know because I read book one. I know what's going to happen. Oh, yet, but, but if you yet, haven't read book one, I'm not going to tell you what happens. I know. And yet I, I, know. Keep, I keep hoping, like I'm keeping the faith that somehow book one was just a dream. Keep reading. Woke up. Because you'll see the whole, in thinking book six and on Ocean Boulevard. No, no, Beach House Reunion, book five. There's kind of a. A revisit of that. 
Okay. All right. Okay. Beach I'm house excited. for rent took me beach house for rent took me so long to read because it was, it was so emotional that was that was hard i well, i got, i, I yeah. didn't feel emotionally prepared to read beach house memories having just finished the beach house <laughs> because i wasn't ready for that yet i know and then well you love beach, you love swimming lessons which is actually next which actually chronologically is the one after beach house because i remember we were um this was my god 2007 and they're like, Mary Alice, come on, we're going to take this turtle. And, and they said, the aquarium said, they didn't have a hospital. The aquarium said they'd take it. It was, the turtle was called Stinky at the time. And it was Stinky. And we had a kiddie pool from Kmart. And we had cardboard boxes and thank God for duct tape in the basement of the big aquarium in South Carolina. And that was the first sea turtle that they took in. And after that, they agreed to sort of taking sea turtles. So the vet would come on his off time to take, take care of them. And we would hunt, we would run around the aquarium to look for any empty tank that we could borrow to put sea turtles in. So eventually we had a number of tanks all in the basement for about 10 years. And, now, and while we were saving money and now we have a state-of-the-art sea turtle hospital. But if you read swimming lessons, that was the year we started the Sea Turtle Hospital. And those are the good years when you, the founding years, you know, when you're- What year was you, that? 2007. Oh, I was wondering if it was when I was still in school down there. I would make my husband take me to Charleston every time he would come visit. Uh, I so I didn't have a car the first two years. So he would come visit and I would be like, baby, take me out to Charleston. And we went to the aquarium a few times and we'd go out to Isle of Palms and just chill on the beach for a while and stuff like that. Well, you, I think after 2007, eight, maybe 2009 is right around there, 10, you could take a tour and go downstairs. And it was kind of cool. It was so like the marathon. Who, who someone said they were in marathon in the Keys. That's just, you walking around the big tanks outside, right? And um, mm -hmm. it's a great place, but that pretty much is what we had in the, basement just big tanks and people could walk around and now it's pretty sophisticated we, we have every kind of equipment it's really cool to see what we can do with turtles to, pres to preserve they are so resilient that's the word resilient and so I looked at that and that's why I created the characters who are resilient the women women are resilient too Heck yeah, we have really. to be <laughs> we have so, to be Mary Alice, do you have a favorite experience with sea turtles? What's your number one? Uh -oh. oh, yeah, 100%. It was the first year I started. I'm, if you know me, I'm very determined when I do my research. And I was not yet licensed. And I was determined to see a nest, a turtle come ashore. I got up. I, well, I walked till about midnight every night up and down the beach. The likelihood of seeing a sea turtle come ashore on Isle of Palms was slim. Then I'd get up again at four and I'd start walking. It's kind of spooky out there at four. So I just, I was kicked out my, got my permit. And then I was connected to the core team, which monitors the, the, the nests. And we got a police, a call from the police saying a turtle is coming ashore. And it's just like I wrote about in the beach house. It truly was the best night. When we approached the beach, it was one of those unusual nights where the moon was brilliant and the tide was low and had gone out. And so the beach was unscarred, was pristine. You could see the tracks going up, you know, where the tide came out, she came up. And 
it was so lit up. We all just were very quiet, just like I wrote about and watched. And there's something about the first time. And I had written about the tears of the sea turtle. And of course, now we know it's a saltwater cleansing of the eye. It's quite, it's a biological function, but it, as a metaphor for a woman, a woman's tears, a mother's tears giving birth, it was the most beautiful moment of my, I'll never be able to replicate it because this, because the, the second one was similar. I saw something I wanted, I wrote about come to life. And then when I, the Hallmark movie was made 15 years later, I walk out on the beach and the actors are there and the setup is there and they're all around uh, a nest and it's artificial puppets, you know, coming up. But to see the word and hear the words and the coming of, and watching my novel come alive with the, the first scene was the hatching. No words. So it's been a, it's been, it's been really great. It has. I don't think there's anything to match seeing anything in wildlife. I, I write as true as I can, but to see it yourself is, you know, a sunset. it's like trying to describe a sunset, you know, it's never. Yeah. I was just thinking about when, the, when I was in St. Croix back in March, um, talking about whale research, Tracy and I, TC and I got to hear whales when we were diving. <laughs> And it was the, the magnification most, under the water. Uh, yeah. It was, it was still so distant, but just a beautiful sound. And it's something that I don't know that I could ever describe. You know why? Because it's how it makes you feel. Mm. And that's the point. That's the power of story. When you, you have to find a way to get the emotion out and it's not just words. It's usually a setup or what, how she responds and that is the power of story because not everyone can get in that ocean and hear right. that whale song, but you want them to feel the longing you feel when you hear it. You know, it goes very deep, doesn't it? Yeah. And you do a really great job of storytelling. I felt like I was right there on the beach with these people and like they Thank were you. truly my friends. And well, that's it, isn't it? Because you trust, you trust the, the eyes. Yes. And the ears of the people <laughs> you're getting involved in. I'm so yes. excited that it's a series because I'm, I was not ready. I was not ready for it to end. Oh, thank you. Oh, you've got six more. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can start reading the dolphin one. That's yeah, true. exactly. The dolphin <laughs> one I really like. You girls will love that because it's about three young women, granddaughters, and the grand, and this happens a lot in Sullivan's Island is where it takes place, but all across the country, a house, a farm, a ranch, whatever. It's the place families gathered, you know, where your grandma, grandpa's house or aunt and uncle, and it's a family piece. Everyone loves it. But at some point, either because of grandpa, grandpa and grandma getting old or taxes are too high, they can't keep it up. Those family places are being sold. So there's that sense of, again, habitat. That's what I'm always parallel. I'm really concerned about habitat. And these three young women who are, you know, granddaughters come to spend that final summer. And of course, there's a lot of adventures. They fall in love. There's a whole different, there's a lot going on. But it's a, now that series, as compared to the Beach House, you should read that series in order. Summer mm, Girls, okay. Summer Wind, Summer Zed. It's written that way. The Beach House series 
if you picked up the Summer of Lost and Found with the next generation, I approached it as a standalone novel, beginning, oh, okay. a middle, and an end. So there's enough history in the whole story. You don't have to have read all of them. And that's a different approach as a writer to how to tell each book, because there were sometimes three, four years between books. And you might forget some of the colors of the eyes or who's related to who. <laughs> so I have to begin by starting from the very beginning to the end. So that's a decision an author makes when she begins a series. How fast are they going to come out? And are they in order? So for the Beach House series, we don't have to read them in order to appreciate no. them. Whatever, you know you will. I know, I, I will. But... Start with the Beach House. It's a better read. Yeah. Because you're growing up with the characters. But okay, someone listening today and saying, oh, I think I'll just read the new one and see if I like it. Well, go ahead. And <laughs> you, then go back. you really could read the second one first. I mean, you, you don't have to read it's almost the a first prequel. One. Yeah. Yeah. It is a prequel. Spin many... lessons? Is that what you're talking about? Is that um, the second no, one? Uh, the Beach House Memories. Oh, that's the second it one. Chronologically, okay. it's Beach House Swimming Lessons and Beach House Memories. Chronologically, okay. but I think most of my readers say you want to read Beach House Memories because it's that love story, but it doesn't matter, whichever way you want to go. Okay. But you weave these too sad tales. About <laughs> what? You weave these tales like um, Marvel or George Lucas. Like, that's, that's the only <laughs> other things I can compare them to. <laughs> like, how do you keep them all straight? <laughs> oh, it's a lot of work. You have, <laughs> you have each book has style sheets with all the characters and the eye colors. And then I read the books again before I begin another one. If it's been a couple of years, I'll read the whole series because you need to remember what secret did I forget, to, did I drop? You know, what, like mm. Linnea in the end of this book had some really strong um, self-realizations as a young woman moving forward. I have to know exactly what her thoughts were. And there was a love triangle two guys, team, you're either team John or team Gordon. And, <laughs> and I honestly didn't know who she was going to pick in the end, which is unusual for me. And when I made the choice, I was like, of course, it was the only choice she could make. <laughs> you know, awesome. but I, I have to read again why she made that choice before I begin the next book. That's an interesting process. It is. It is. But it's, a joy because I love the characters so much. And, you know, the decision in Beach House for Rent, for example, was a tough one, but I had to keep it realistic. I like to, I don't want to fall into the trap of nostalgia because there are so many issues facing us right now with landscape protection, endangered species. I, I have to keep it current and real so that people see themselves in the story if you fall into the trap of nostalgia it's like oh the world was better than you know it really we have issues right now we have to come up with solutions for and i'm counting on this young generation of y'all <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna should, do our best <laughs> i should probably we should probably know this i don't know if the others know this i don't know this but where did you grow up Oh, kind of many places. I was born in Evanston, Illinois, which is outside Chicago. Mm -hmm. And um, landlocked. Very, no tea turtles. No. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, my father was a pediatrician, but during the, the war, he um, 
post-war, he was in the public health service. So we lived in Louisiana for a long time, New Orleans. And then we came back. To, it's a funny story. When we came back to the Chicago area and he went into practice, I was put into speech therapy. And I always thought, what was, I must have had a problem with my speech. But turns out years later, I found out, oh, no, no, no. You had a Southern accent. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Can't have that. I'm going to get rid of that. So, um, <laughs> so then my husband moved. He was, um, he's a psychiatrist. We moved to the Washington, D.C. when he went to the National Institute of Mental Health. Great research, the apex. And again, no sea turtles. But that's when I started coming with friends every year to Isle Palms to visit. Mm -hmm. So one, when he decided um, 1998 to move there, we'd been coming for 10, 12 years that it's, he was offered a position and he said, okay, we'll settle down there. And that's nice. when we moved permanently. And I joined the turtle team and the rest is history. So do you oh. dive? I used to, I don't anymore. The older I get, um, I found I got a little claustrophobic, uncomfortable. And so I started, I took up snorkeling. So when I work with wildlife now, I just usually snorkel. And that's so you've, okay. You've seen the sea turtles underwater then. You've yeah. seen them gliding. And it's a whole different, it's a whole different They're, they're so graceful. Yeah. And then this clump, you know, clumbering. Yeah. <laughs> this gravity on their chest. You know, it's a very hard process to watch these females come ashore. The males don't do it. You know, it's the females that have to risk everything. As so, Jess, in Hawaii, don't, don't yes, males? Yes, they do. Yeah, I thought sun. so. They need sun. And if we, we found, that's again, things that we are learning more and more is we used to think the males never came ashore. Oh, yes, they do. Hawaii. And you so got to get that. I wish you if you were going to Hawaii. But I, I'm, I don't know the answer to that, to be honest with you, about other species elsewhere in the world. So, so do I, do sea turtles only lay eggs one time in their life? No, multiple nests. Oh, okay. Speak only for loggerheads, but they can nest three, four times in a season. So they are they exhausted do. by the season's end. And they often do not nest again the next year. They'll take a year of forage, regain their strength. And then um, sometimes two years, maybe three, they'll come back and nest again. It's, oh, it's okay. like three or four years for our leatherbacks here. They don't, and it's five or six nests in a season. And I, um, six, I, yeah. I, they can also store sperm and they can fertilize eggs after they've yeah. made the trek. So like our leatherbacks are in Nova Scotia. So up like Canada, they swim all the way down here and they can keep sperm inside their bodies and they can fertilize the eggs Kind of after the fact. Nesting. Well, yeah. that's why they rotate the eggs as they each they lay them, and then they 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 rotate the next batch. And it's uh, it's a lot of work and a lot. You know, seven hundred eggs per turtle a season. That's a lot of work. It is. But think about day. that. If one in a thousand makes it, like yeah. that's what boggles my mind. If roughly one in a thousand makes it, we have leatherbacks. Leatherbacks, mm -hmm. sixty maybe seventy eggs in a in a clutch so if they lay six eggs with 60 that's what 360 eggs i mean one in a thousand like that is yeah. a lot of work okay but let me tell you the positive of that it used to be one in ten thousand when we were you know 30 years ago and oh wow um i think so one in a thousand and what's really nice is that we're seeing that the numbers trend upward 
And I realize now, because some of the turtles that were laying eggs when I started, and when the, when nest, when the turtle teams started 30 years ago, they're trending upward, which tells us that the work we're doing on the beaches is making a difference. For and sure, that's, for that's sure. doesn't that charge your batteries just a little bit? Absolutely. That's exciting yeah. stuff. It's one of those crazy jobs. You know, if you're, if you're a sea turtle conservationist, you're essentially trying to work yourself out of a job. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> Isn't that I hope crazy? so. They, people always say, how do you, do you think you ever get writer's block that you'll have not have another story you want to write? And I have so many species I want to write about, like planes on a runway. And I, it's intuition. It really is. I remember when I did the monarch butterflies, I just was a tingling that, hmm, I have to write about this now. And the next year was the monarch butterfly crash. And I don't know why, but you trust oh. that instinct. And I remember when I wrote about, um, I was very respectful of the shrimping industry because they did adapt the turtle excluder devices. They, they did their part after big wars, but they did. So that's a vanishing industry in the Southeast. And I remember someone said, Mary Alice, if you don't want to hurry up and write about the shrimpers because they're going to be gone. Oh no! And I felt that tingle, <laughs> and I and I wrote about a family saga, and I, I'm on the board of the aquarium, and I was at a special meeting with Pat Fair from NOAA, who was head of NOAA in Charleston, and Philippe Cousteau, who's the grandson of the great Cousteau, came, and they were remarking to all of us that the there were studies being done at a resident dolphin in Charleston, resident dolphins in this area of Florida were. 50%, 49% actually in Charleston waters and 52% in the um, Florida area. They were deemed not healthy over sick, mm. the resident dolphins, because of what was going into the water and what the fish were eating. And they're, they're a high level predator. So they're a sentinel species. So when I heard that, I went, must Because I didn't want to write <laughs> Yeah. Right. I didn't want to write Flipper. I wanted to write a book to make a difference. And that's when he said, Miros, please write a book. Because he knew that people would read my books that might not read, like I said, a magazine or a journal article. And let's get people aware that what they throw into the down, medicines down the toilet or feeding dolphins at the dock, all these individual actions impact survival of different species. That's lighting one candle. So that's an important message to tell everyone. It absolutely is. And I think that that is what we are going to make our challenge for this week. We want everybody to tell us one thing that you are doing to make a difference. What is your, what is your candle that you're lighting? Um, so that's our challenge for our listeners this week. Mary Alice Monroe, we want to thank you so much again for being on with us tonight. Thank you. Thank for you for all- reading my books. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And thank for you for I- all you're doing. I oh. applaud you all. Thank you for lighting your candles. You're lighting lots of candles. Thank you. <laughs> we hope so. That's one of my personal goals with this podcast is just to make people smile. And I'm hoping that we're doing that. So get to be positive. We can do this if we work together. Absolutely. Absolutely. So for all of our listeners, check out Mary Alice Monroe's seventh book in the Beach House series. It just came out May 11th of this year, 2021. 
Um, it's called The Summer of Lost and Found. This book has already made it to number 14 on the New York Times bestseller list for the hard copy sales, <laughs> number 13 for combined print and ebook list, and number 23 in the USA Today's bestselling list. And that is it's only been out for 13 days. So there you go. It's sure to be a great summer read. Um, you can learn more about Mary Alice Monroe and all of her books at maryalicemonroe.com. And I want to thank all of our sirens for being on today. TC all the way from St. Croix. We had Jess, Sarah, Elsie, and me. I'm Mer. Thank you again for listening. Until next time, dive in, stay curious, be happy. thank you so much for listening to this episode of siren soapbox and a special thank you to c-strings for providing our music snag your latest cp from itunes today follow the sirens on all the social medias and don't forget to tell your friends about us like and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts we'll catch you next time on another episode of siren soapbox